Hello and welcome to the All 80s Movies Podcast, the podcast where we talk about the blockbusters, the flops, and everything in between from one of the freshest decades for movies, the 1980s. I'm your host, Bill Banton, along with me on this journey back to the 80s, my co-host, Jason Nasik. Hello, Jason. Bill, I just want to let them know that they didn't break me. That's right, listeners. Today, we'll be discussing the 1986 teen drama Pretty in Pink, starring Molly Ringwald, John Cryer, Andrew McCarthy, directed by Howard Deutsch. This movie is rated PG-13 with a running time of one hour and 37 minutes. So what is this movie about? What's in the box? If you grew up in the 1980s and went to your local video store to rent this movie, you would find this description on the back of the VHS box. It is What's on the Box. Take it away, Jason. Teen Sensations, Molly Ringwald, 16 Candles, The Breakfast Club, and Andrew McCarthy, St. Elmo's Fire, drew raves for their starring performance in this hit love story by John Hughes, The Breakfast Club, Mr. Mom. She's a high school girl from the wrong side of town. He's the wealthy heartthrob who asks her to the prom. But as fast as their romance builds, it's threatened by the painful reality of peer pressure. A bittersweet story with an upbeat ending and a phenomenal rock score. Pretty in Pink also stars Harry Dean Stanton, John Cryer, James Spader, and Annie Potts. Pretty in Pink. Pretty in Pink. Bill? Yes. If you leave, don't leave now. Please don't take my heart away. Promise me just one more night. Then we'll go our separate ways. I can't wait to do this podcast with you. Yeah. Wow. Ah, let's get into it, man. Yes. I did it better in rehearsal on my own in the mirror, but uh, I'll live with that. I'll just live with that rendition of If You Leave. Wow. Talk about nostalgia. Do we want to just get right into it? The earliest memories, man? Yeah, go for it. All right. Look, I did not see this movie in the theater. This is 1986, right? Correct. Uh, this was a cable watch for me. And I was just thinking, Bill, about the John Hughes movies. Like I saw Ferris Bueller's in the theater, but there's just a handful that I didn't. And I don't know if I really understood like the coming of age films or really digested them until a little bit later when I got actually got into high school. But a lot of these movies were released or were released when I was still in grade school at the end of grade school. So this one I saw a little bit later, probably a little bit later in high school, because I was around 12 when this came out. I, definitely the first thing that pops into my head when I think Pretty in Pink is Ducky. It's Ducky. It's John Cryer. It's just his image. Uh, it's his sympathetic character, uh, the fashion choices. I mean, I to be honest, I when I was younger, I thought his character was homosexual. And I never thought there was anything wrong with that, of course, but I was a little confused and it's, it's just interesting, but he's fantastic in it. And he just steals so many scenes. So he's just so memorable and he's just so full of energy and he's, he's charming in this role. Definitely the whole wrong side of the tracks uh, trope, right? Literally, literally. I was actually, that's in my initial thoughts, right? At the very top. That's so funny. You say that. Yeah. Uh, so you got the rich boy, the poor girl. These are things that I remember, you know, you remember from the actual uh, storyline. Uh, I also remember Harry Dean Stanton just being that, you know, single dad, beat up, blue collar, that five o'clock shadow 
he's just trying to do right by his young girl, you know, his daughter, and uh, just another very sympathetic character. So that father-daughter relationship, I always remember because I, I just, I do appreciate uh, Harry Dean Stanton playing Jack Walsh and obviously Molly Ringwald, who plays uh, the young Andy Walsh, uh, their father-daughter relationship, the closeness between them. So that's always an early memory of mine, uh, something that stays with me. And just the uh, the bittersweetness of it all because of what Ducky's going through. I don't know. I, I mean, as a guy, I suppose I attached a little bit more to his character, just to finding him a little bit more sympathetic. You just know he's going to get hurt. And it always sucks when that happens. And so that always, that kind of, uh, that little that anguish kind of stays with me. That's a memory, an emotional memory, I should say. Uh, but yeah, in general, that that the high school coming of age romance and definitely that Chicago area feel. I am from, you know, I've, I've mentioned probably a million times, Lindenhurst, Illinois, originally, northwest uh, suburb of Chicago. And uh, I think this is supposed to take place in Elgin. And that's about an hour south of Lindenhurst, actually. But that's that's another suburb of Chicago. And of course, John Hughes, known for writing his stories based in Chicago so or the surrounding areas. So yeah, um, that Chicago feel, definitely, I remember the peer pressure aspect. And then last but not least, that 80s rock soundtrack, man. You know, If You Leave, oh, yeah. Pretty in Pink. And there's some other great tunes on this soundtrack. So there you go. Those are my earliest memories, man. Uh, how about you? So for me, this is probably the last of the John Hughes movies that I finally got around to watching. Oh, okay. Let's be yeah. honest. Pretty in pink. A teenager. I'm like, I, I don't really want to see this. I do remember, you know, the iconic poster of, you know, you have John Cryer and Andrew McCarthy and Molly Ringwald and she's in the pink and it's the black and white and that's stuff. But it was one I really was just like, ah, eh, this just doesn't seem to interest me. I probably didn't see this until the early nineties that I finally got around to watching right. it. Sure. And then even for this podcast, it's the only second time I've seen this movie, but yeah, the Ducky character does stand out. John Cryer stands out and going back to watch this, I was wondering how I was going to feel watching John Cryer. portrays. like, is he going to annoy me or am I going to enjoy the performance or that's a, that is a question. Yeah. So that was interesting too. So yeah, so the the scenes that I remember is the lip sync scene in the uh, record tracks, the record tracks. store, yeah, in the record store, Down. yeah, and uh, the prom ending. Sure, her making the dress. So going back to watch this, it, it was a lot I kind of forgot. So it was this was almost kind of watching it again for the first time, to be honest. But yeah, I mean, all the tunes that were the music throughout. I couldn't believe even watching the credits and seeing all the songs that were in there. I was like, Oh my God, there's a ton. And some of them, like, I don't even remember hearing this one in the movie. So absolutely. Yeah. No, no. I was the same way. Same way. Yeah. 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 There was a lot of surprises throughout it's cause it's been a good 20 some years since I saw it. Sure. Yeah. I can't say I really have that many, many early memories. Um, I just remember I finally got around the scene. I'm like, I, I've seen all this other stuff. This is the one I have not seen. So this is probably, yeah, this was the last John Hughes movie I've watched. You bring up some good points there. And I agree with you. It's one of those things with, I mean, I agree with you regarding, it took a minute to watch this one. I wasn't running to see this even just on cable, but I did like the stars that are in it. And, you know, word gets around 
I knew of the John Hughes films and I liked his other movies. I obviously enjoyed 16 Candles, as I mentioned, Ferris Bueller's Day Off. But um, it was one of those things, though, that it got me it, then with the that high school romance aspect of it. I don't know. I couldn't necessarily relate to maybe the peer pressure. That's not something that I experienced myself as much in my high school years. It was great just watching it now uh, because it really is has it just has a certain nostalgia about it and they even talk about nostalgia in the movie and i'll get to that a little bit later uh which i thought was funny because our very own podcast is based on nostalgia so right. this is what we do here at the all 80s movies podcast yeah i just I, I there's i have a certain appreciation for this movie and i'll tell you why right off the bat with my initial thoughts actually if uh you're ready to jump into those go for it yeah man this movie makes me yearn for that feeling, man, of that of high school love. I, I'll be honest. This is, I, I'm a sap, man. I'm a romantic. I love this stuff. I love remembering love, you know, trying to recreate this feel, that feeling. This movie, for whatever reason, for better or worse, brings it out in me. You know, young love is incredible. Love fucking sucks. And love can be truly amazing. But there really is something special about that high school love this that convergence of adolescence and emotion and it's completely overwhelming and it rules your life and it really takes over it keeps you going everything else becomes secondary and i remember that when i i was fortunate to at least you know i thought it was love in high school probably a few different times who knows it could have been hormones it could have been you know again they just they're going through adolescence but i appreciate this movie now because I'm seeing the different versions or different stages of love. Because we think love is one thing when we're younger, and then as we grow older, we you know we gain perspective, et cetera, et cetera. And just like we talk about, you know, the then and now aspect of this podcast and what we do, love, you know, the perspective, of what love meant then to me as a young boy, and then uh, going through it in high school, and then all the way to now. You know, that's how I feel, and so. In this movie, you get young, the high school love between Andy and Blaine. You have unrequited love with Ducky and Andy. You get a little bit more mature love with Iona, the record store manager played by Annie Potts, who is absolutely wonderful. We don't get to see Terrence very much in it, but uh, we know that she is she's hot for Terrence in this movie, her new boyfriend. Then we get love lost, which is really bittersweet. And that's that's Jack. Walsh, yes. the dead, and uh, his wife had left him three years prior, and he hasn't gotten over it. So we have all these different versions of love, uh, different circumstances, situational love. And now looking at this film as an adult, I appreciate that about this movie. This is a straightforward high school coming of age love story with a very specific focus on class difference. It's the rich kids versus the poor kids. This is not rocket science. This movie is, it's all on the surface. I mean, they, some of the, the lines literally are just, you know, I think when Blaine is even taking Andy to his friend's party on their first date, he says something, don't worry, my friends will accept you. You know, it's like really on the surface. It's like yeah. they're addressing it right up front. There's no, not a whole lot of subtext, but I, I don't know. It kind of works for me. So... I mentioned being from the area and that it takes place in Elgin and you brought this up 
uh, briefly, and, I, and I'll address it right here. We literally see the train tracks in the open, very like opening few shots of the film when the credits are rolling, because we understand that Andy Walsh, played by Molly Ringwald, our main protagonist, uh, she is what is she a senior? I guess senior. she's senior in high school, right? So she's seven, eighteen. Mm-hmm. You know, comes from a probably lower middle class income family in a, a lower middle class area of town. It's a little bit shoddy. It's not, you know, it's not the slums, but you see the actual trade tracks. You're like, ah, well, there it is. Pretty obvious symbolism where she's the girl from the wrong side of the tracks. And then I thought it was funny, too, that the record store she works in is actually called tracks. Little yes. double entendre. There you go. I like that. I don't know if that was done purposefully or not. And here's another ish initial thought, Matt. It just as soon as I saw her on screen, and I, I do think Molly Ringwald is adorable. And this is kind of a question for you at the same time. What is it about Molly? So we have the Molly Ringwald trilogy, right? We've got 16 Candles, Breakfast Club, Pretty in Pink in that order. Talk about a great few years. 84, yeah. 85, 86, bang, bang, bang. We get Molly Ringwald. I think she's cute, but she's attainable. I think it's great in this movie that Andy is this wanted uh, woman. Ducky wants her, Blaine wants her, even Steph, good old Jane Spader wants her bud. You know, like she is really wanted in this and I get it. And I didn't know right off the bat, what what is it about Molly Ringwald that you think made her so unique for these 80s high school coming of age movies? Or so I should say right for them. Yeah, that's a really good question. Because I know as a kid back then, Molly Ringwald wasn't my thing. She wasn't my cup of tea per se. Yeah, yeah. And watching the movie, I was thinking about it too. It's like, it seems like every girl in the school hates her, but every guy wants to go out with her. I'm thinking, do the girls hate her because every guy wants her? Or they hate her just because... She's different because she's literally on the wrong side of the tracks. I kind of wish that was kind of touched upon at some point in Mm. the movie, why that was. Yeah, but there is sometimes you look at her and, you know, her dress, it really makes her stand out. And there's other times that Blade Shoes dress, I'm like, oh, yeah, she's really attractive. And I could see why these guys are after her. But yeah, I never I never understood the Molly Ringwald. Well, there you go. Why was she was so beloved? And not, I, I not, don't know. Yeah, it's she, she just wasn't for me. That's, you know, but there's nothing wrong with her. She's great in these movies. I couldn't say like, oh, you should have put such such in them. So it just it just works. I mean, I watch them and she does a great job in it. But I was just like, I, yeah, she wouldn't be a girl that I would have gone after in high school. I don't think I would have either. However, I think why she's right for these types of movies and she's so perfect in my humble opinion now looking back upon it is that she really runs the gamut of emotional being like she, she's the embodiment of teen angst. uh, But she, she uh, also has just, she exudes all those feelings, like whether it be the peer pressure or in breakfast club, it's kind of, she's the, uh, the beauty queen type. Mm Mm-hmm or 16 candles, you know, just dealing with the family of the forgotten birthday, et cetera. And the, you know, that it, regardless, whatever the angle is on that particular eighties movie, she really, as an actress nails it. And she has just enough of an every girl quality 
that she's extremely relatable yet. So she can be so cute, very attractive in moments and then extremely uh, dressed down in other moments, no matter what the circumstances are. She just kind of works within those circumstances. I think she's just a really talented actress and I just have a new appreciation for her because I was just like you, obviously I'm a big Elizabeth Shue fan. That was my crush in the eighties. And then watching this and like, Oh yeah, I get it. And I, to answer your question, I totally under like yours. I don't understand why do the girls hate her so much? Why do the guys want her so much? And I think she wanted talking about one of the things Molly Ringwald does very well too, is she does have a, a strength about her, a confidence that she exudes. So in this particular film, she's coming from this lower middle-class neighborhood, but she's, She's making her own clothes. She has these homemade thrift store bought clothes and it's a style and she owns it. And whether or not other people appreciate her taste, she just doesn't give a damn. Deals with her circumstances and she's not afraid. And it's, I I just appreciated that about her character. And I think Molly Ringwald, the actress, establishes that and just portrays that very well. Uh, that kind of confidence. I think she's pretty strong in this movie. So yeah, I just I would, wanted to, yeah, go ahead. Yeah, I, I agree too. I think out of the three movies and granted, maybe it's because it's the third one. I liked her performance the most in this one mm-hmm. between this breakfast club and 16 candles. And that kind of stood out to me a lot watching this because she was really showing some emotion and it felt very genuine in a couple of scenes. I'm sure we'll touch on later in the pod. Yeah. That was something that definitely stood out too. I was like, Oh yeah, I really like her acting in this. Yeah. And in some of the research, I believe she says this is her favorite film. I, I think she, yeah, I heard she that, could heard relate to this character a lot, but also the character within this fiction, you know, seems to have had to grow up a little bit faster, probably. Um, it's just her and her dad. She takes care of her dad who's down on his luck hasn't gotten over his wife who left them all in a, you know, three years previous. And he's got a part-time job, barely paying the bills and she's dealing with it. But again, she's, it, it appears that she's fearless and, but she's also vulnerable just at the at the exact right times because then she has to be, has to deal with this crush she's developed for, for the rich guy and play that off. And, she plays some nice levels in this and some nuance, but when it comes to the peer pressure aspect of the movie, I mean, she's not afraid of it. She, when I talked about like, there's very little subtext in this movie, she hits it straight on and you buy it. Maybe that's the thing that I really appreciate about this movie, why it works for me, though there is no subtext is that she, with the emotion and she's yelling at Blaine later on, just say, say it, just say it just because she can, she owns it. She's like, you're ashamed to be with me. You're afraid that your friends will judge you because you're with me and I'm not good enough for you, et cetera. I'm paraphrasing, but you know what I mean. Right. Uh, and she just owns it and says it like it is. She is no nonsense, no bullshit. Uh, I'll end my rant there, but I think she's she's great in this. So another initial thought I had uh, is that James Spader is the shit. <laughs> Love James Spader. Ultimate smooth slime ball playboy. God, I love this line right off the top. He's basically been with every girl in school, still hasn't gotten Andy. Andy's not about to give in to his advances. And he says, 
because she's rejecting him. He says, you're a bitch. You know, I think you ought to see a doctor because that condition of yours could get a lot worse. I mean, it's just awful. But the way he delivers it and his cadence and his type of his speech and he's just got this thing and he's just kind of like, you know, and the and he kind of has this lazy strut and it's physicality about him. And he's just so he's handsome, but creepy at the same time. And he just he owns that shit, man. He's freaking great. Love. He's such a dick. Oh, completely. And even get, I mean, it gets even worse, like less than zero and stuff like that. But I mean, Jesus, he's just, he's awesome. Yes. And he knew it. James Spader knew that. He he, kind of, he said that to John Carter. I think it's, I saw that in the research suit at some point. He's just like, you know what? I own this high school asshole guy. That's what I do. <laughs> but yeah. All right. Yeah, you do. I'd love a girl with a guy's name. I've mentioned this before. Here yes. it happens again. Don't know why. Alex, Sam. Andy, in this case, Benny, there's a Benny in here. Benny, the bitch is what I'm mm-hmm. calling Joe, like as in like Joe for yeah, Joanna or Tim. I'm just kidding. There's no Tim. Mixtapes. Oh, man. Just brought me back. That's all I'm going <laughs> to say. Mixtapes. Yes. And every time uh, Jack, the dad, Harry Dean Stanton, his name is Jack Walsh. All I can think of was Jack Walsh from Midnight Run. De Niro's <laughs> character. Mm-hmm. There is smoking everywhere in this movie. There's an initial thought or takeaway from this. There's smoking. What's up with that? Besides, we got, I, that's why I wrote down smoking and big hair everywhere. <laughs> yes. We get a lot of big hair. 80s hair in this. Maybe even the guys have almost bigger hair than the girls in this one. It's kind of funny. They're smoking in the kitchen. This is either like Jack is smoking in the kitchen, the dad, or Freaking uh, Steph, James Spader, smoking ever in the kitchen, in the gym, at home, in class. It's all good. Smoke them if you got them. Literally, you can smoke cigarettes everywhere, apparently. So there's girls are yeah, smoking literally in the girls' in school, bathroom. Yeah. In gym class. Andy's friend is smoking right before they have to get up and get in line for gym class. Like, it's amazing. Hey, speaking of the girls in gym class, Gina Gershon is in this movie. Awesome. There's an initial, that's a great initial thought I have. And it makes me feel really warm inside because I have a thing for her too. And I have to tell you, Bill Bant, if Gina Gershon went to my high school, oh my goodness. Look, Elizabeth Shue, she has my heart. We understand this. But Gina Gershon, she's like the, the antithesis, but in like the sexiest possible way of Elizabeth Shue. Like she's the opposite, right? Yeah. Does that make sense? She's got the little bad girl vibe. Oh, my goodness. On. Yeah, because look at her, I was like, wow, she definitely got a lot better looking when she got older. She was, she was still kind of in that weird, awkward kind of, yeah, for me. Yeah. For but me she, but I mean, it's she still looks, I don't know, she looks, she looked the same for a long time. I mean, she aged really well. Uh, but yeah, she's obviously very young in this. I think she's yeah. in her early 20s, the actress. But um Always had the hots for Gina Gershon. I mentioned Annie Potts playing Iona, the tracks record store manager. She is the best. Uh, obviously, I know you're you've got to be a fan of hers. Oh, of course. It's Ghostbusters, man. What do you want? <laughs> there it is. The Bill Bad impressions keep on coming. She's so cute, so edgy. Definitely doesn't look 15 years older than Andy. She's supposed to be, I think, in this movie. Or around there. Uh, sassy. Can't get enough of Annie Potts. She's just funny. Her natural delivery. She's just naturally great. Craziest wardrobe. 
Like sometimes, oh, I'm like, yeah. why are you wearing some of these outfits? Right. I mean, the fashion out. really is all over. It's great. In oh, this movie. Yeah. It's really all over the place. Uh, shout out to Andrew Dice Clay. There's just another initial thought. I mean, the Dice Man, just great. I love his, I steal this from him, the jerking motion he does with the hands and his arms, like when he's doing the thing with the cigarette. Yes. I'll do that when I'm like pulling out money and I'm counting like money. I'll do that same thing. And people think that's really funny. And I don't even know if they get the reference. I don't even know if I I knew I was doing that. But that's from Andrew Dice Clay. So great. And his bit part in this as the Cats nightclub bouncer. And coming full circle back to John Cryer as Ducky. Uh, another initial thought was just, or takeaway here is just his physicality, his comic timing. Um, we'll get to the big question of, is he annoying or is he just incredible in this movie? But he definitely steals a lot of the scenes that he's in. And one of the memorable, most memorable things about the movie. My last initial thought is, I think it was smart about any genre movie is really to focus on one aspect of that genre, genre, not try to do everything within the genre. Uh, We find that with a lot of these movies that we have these attachments to. And I just popped out to me, I may be stating the obvious here, but obviously we're dealing with the issue of class difference here, the rich versus poor uh, idea. Just one of the guys who are dealing with a gender issue. Can't buy me love. It's about popularity. It's just taking one aspect of that high school experience and let's just make the movie center it around that. That's the, that's the issue. That's the problem that our protagonists are dealing with or the obstacle. And what is it they want from that or want, want to get over? What do they want to gain? Yeah, I just think uh, this movie, it works because it's just not trying to do too much. It's just about falling in love and... Uh, getting over the, the peer pressure regarding uh, whether you're, you've got money or you don't got money and that's it. Yeah. And I, I think go for it, man. Yeah. And I think that's one of the things I did like about the movie too, is the theme still resonates today and it doesn't necessarily mm-hmm. have to be rich or poor. It could be race or religion or you know, it's something that's oh, yeah, a barrier between. Yeah. yeah. And that's, and that's what I kind of liked it. I'm like, Somebody could watch this today and say, oh, yeah, I can see the parallels of, of things that are happening now. But, yeah, my my really big thing watching this was Andy Ducky relationship, because every time you go back and read stuff about this film, they, they always talk about the ending. And we'll get into that at right. some point. Absolutely. So I was really trying to focus watching this just to see, you know, if I was working on the film or if I was the writer of the film, like what which way would I take it? Mm-hmm. And I'll be honest, I was really confused by their relationship because it it's almost like the first time Ducky's introduced and he goes to Andy. Andy almost seems like annoyed that he's there. So part of me was thinking, are they really best friends? How does this work? And then Andy goes to the club and she goes to a club that Ducky can't get in. And they, you know, they have the scene with Andrew Dice Clay's like, well, why do you think she goes here? And then next thing you know, they're like best buddies. So it was weird kind of watching the film, really just trying to figure out, like, what is the true dynamic with the two of them? Mm-hmm. What is it that... I completely get that. Yeah. yeah. As a viewer, am I trying to relate to? And then, because then when you get to the end, you know, she's so excited to see him. Oh, yeah. Thinking, oh, this is how it's going to wrap up. And it goes in a different direction. That was kind of confusing to me because in a way they're, they're very similar. They both stand out. They both stand out, but in different ways. Whereas Ducky's very outgoing and boisterous and Andy's 
reserved, but she stands out with the way she presents herself. Mm-hmm. So I can see why that matches. I don't know how I, I really want to know how she felt about him. Was she, was she always absolutely. I, I had that as a question later on. Is Ducky uh, her friend just because he's always around, or mm-hmm. is she actually his friend because she cares for him? I I just questioned that all throughout because even the whole thing with Blaine, she tries to hide it from him because he she knows how he's going to react. It was it was interesting watching that, and then just the whole time, just kind of questioning what the re- relationship was all about. No, I think that's it's a fair question, and the way you you presented it, it made a lot of sense. So I completely agree. I think they're very much, I mean, much friends. Obviously, they've been friends since childhood. Is it a lot due to his persistence in being her friend, and because he has an extreme crush on her, and is in love with her? That being Ducky, yeah, I, yeah, probably. But there's a loyalty there, shared experience. They seem to, they come, they both are from the same side of the tracks. They have commonality there. But it is, it is slightly confusing. But yes, because like when she's at her locker, the opening of the movie, and he shows up, and she's like, oh boy, here he is. He's gonna put on a show. Here's, he's gonna do his thing. He's a little bit, you know, he's a little over the top, a little boisterous kind of makes a little scene, draws attention to himself and thus her, and she kind of puts up with it. And that's the sense that you get, like she's just putting up with it. Not that they're besties or right. you know, uh, BFFs, but later on, it, you see it, their relationship warm up in a sense where you're like, oh, okay, yeah she it's not just that she's putting up with it she she just understands how he is and yeah at times i'm sure she does just kind of have to put up with him that the the great classic lip sync number that he does to otis redding's sorry little tenderness she's literally what it's really funny her reaction versus she's very embarrassed yeah yeah she's like what the hell are you doing and she doesn't necessarily think it's adorable romantic or cute it's just that here's my my kind of my goofball friend doing his goofball thing again. It's just what he does. So yeah, uh, but she's got to know that he's. That crushed. was my that was my question. So what we can talk about? Yeah, right now is that does she? I assume this is what you're asking, Bill. So I, forgive me if I'm wrong, but the question is, does she know that he's in love with her? Right? Is that what you're? Yeah, I'm. I mean, I'm leaning think, towards that. I'm, I guess I just wish I understood more the dynamics of their relationship. Like is, is some of it because that she knows that he has a crush on her that she kind of has to put like a wall at a distance to right. keep, to keep them in the friend zone. And that's right. why some of that stuff happens. Or is it more of, I think so because we're in the same class situation and you're always watching out for me. Right. That's why I accept you. I just don't feel like I ever figured that out. I think that's fair. I, I just took it as that they were childhood friends and then he developed such a strong attachment for her toward her and she does understand it on a level. And I think she knows, she has to know deep down inside that he's in love with her, but that's why she will put up the wall instantaneously if need be. That brief scene right outside the cat's nightclub when Ducky's been sitting outside talking to Dice Clay and then she comes out 
They walk to the car and Ducky makes, she says, I got to go home. I got to go to bed. And he makes, Ducky makes the joke, my bed oh, yeah. or yours. And she immediately shuts him down. And it feels like this is just a common thing where she, he'll throw out what seems to be a uh, innocuous flirt, but she will shut him down. And that's just how their, you know, what their rapport is like. Right. You know? Uh, that's their back and forth. That's how they are as friends, even though he secretly actually means it. He's joking, but he's not. He's only half kidding. And she's just like, Ugh, I'll just keep putting the wall up or shutting him down and maybe he'll just stop someday. Yeah, because so I, I would think for her, it would get tiresome to the point where just just stay away from me. I can't I can't deal with this anymore. Right. So I kind of felt a little of that sometimes. So that's what always made me question, like, how does this relationship actually work? It's very unique. And I think it's a little bit more clear, too, for me, with the question of does she know that he's in love with her is when Blaine comes to pick her up at tracks at the record store for their first date and Ducky catches wind of it. And he has that, you know, just that that look on his face, which is just ultimate dejection. It's just great acting on John Cryer's behalf. He's distraught and he lets her have it. And she doesn't seem surprised that he's not happy about the situation until he really lets her have it. And then she gets pissed too, but she doesn't, she's she knows that he's going to be disappointed. You know, it may come off at first that she knows he'll be disappointed because he thought they also had plans that night and that like, she's canceling on him to go on a date with another guy, but it's, she knows that Ducky kind of lives for her and this is going to disappoint him and she has to kind of let him down easily. Right. Mm -hmm. So it seems like, and she does mention in that, in the beginning of that thing before Ducky blows up about the Blaine date that she's like, she says, he's not like the other guys. You'll, you'll like him. Meaning she's probably gone on dates before. I would hope so. And Ducky's had to deal with that. And it probably kills him every single time, but he's gotten past it because she never actually commits. She hasn't committed to the other guys because the other guys were assholes. Yeah. But this one's different because he's the rich guy. And now he's, he's really the enemy, which puts him over the top. Right. It's a double whammy. Yes. You know, for such a simple, straightforward movie, there's some stuff to break down here, but regarding feelings. uh, But I think I got, yeah, I, I covered all my initial thoughts. All right, so let's move on to favorite scenes or moments. What are some of your favorite scenes and moments from Pretty in Pink? Yeah, why don't you start us off, man? I've been okay. talking well, one, my ass off. Oh my well, God. one of them we've already touched on a little bit, and it's a, and it's a moment, and it is Ducky anxiously waiting outside the club for Andy to appear, and mm-hmm. he's there with uh, Andrew Dice Clay, and this part kind of made me laugh because the scene starts off where he's basically asking dice to let him in he's not going to do it he's like but my girlfriend's in there he's like well he's not really my she's not really my girlfriend she's my friend who's a girl and and that made me laugh out loud because my my son he's eight years old and anytime he has a friend that's a girl and i'm like is that your girlfriend he's like no i'm like well she's a girl right it's like yeah and she's a friend right yeah i'm like well then she's a girlfriend and it's like no she's not right so that just made me laugh because i'm like uh yes i i should play this for my son because we had this conversation over and over again. So to hear that in the beginning of the scene, that just made me laugh. I'm like, oh, yeah, I've had this conversation millions That's of times. Funny. Yeah. And then just the whole bouncer with a with little bit of the sage advice where 
he, you know, he says to Ducky, like, why do you think she goes here then, knowing that you cannot come in? Oh, yeah. What does that tell you? <laughs> it's like, uh, yeah. But, you know, of course, he's not going to listen to that. And then, right. you know, Andy comes out and he makes the joke like, you know, if you worship the duck man, why, why do you keep doing this? And of course, you know, Ducky's trying to shoot him down. Like, no, 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 no. You're, you're right. saying things the opposite. So I just love that little, little moment. Cause it just kind of reminded me a little bit of what home life is like. And, but yeah, it, it does make a lot of sense. It's how she even able to get in there the same age. Well, that's, that's another question. Yeah. Is what, is that nightclub an 18 and over nightclub or is it just that because she's a pretty girl, the dice man's been letting her in and Ducky is an underage guy and kind of goofy, et cetera. And he's just getting, yeah. You know, he's it's getting funny because it's like, I've been, hell, I've been coming here for years. I'm like, what have you been coming here since you were 12? What's going right. on there? But it's just, it's just the routine that he will literally wait out there. Like a, like a dog, you're taking to the, you know, just wait here. I'm going to go in the club for a little bit. And then when I oh, come yeah. out, you'll still be sitting here waiting. It is a great scene. It's a good call. It's a great moment. Uh, that combo between Ducky and Dice Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's some funny stuff. Dice Clay gets to do a little bit of his bit. He's got the voice and he's got the movements yep. and does uh, got a little bit of his thing, his swagger. John Cryer is very funny and some of his lines are great. Uh, but you, there's something you picked up on there too that I, I wanted to point out is the fact that Ducky is in denial. We can just call him Denial Ducky. Right. Yes. I mean, he he you could literally tell him to his face. And I've been in this spot, too. I can relate when somebody literally says she does not love you. And he would be like, oh, yeah, I know. I know. I know. It's just that this, that and the other thing. But she, you know, she's kind of loves me in her own way. And that's, you know, I'll take it. And she'll, he'll, you know, massage it and it'll work for him somehow. But he'll justify it or use some sort of twisted logic. And it's great because he continuously does that. He just brushes off any kind of negative thing because he's blinded by love. Oh, blinded big time. Yes. God, I just had a flashback to uh, one crazy summer and that whole blinded by love thing. Oh, sorry. Just, you know, no, sorry. Uh, it's just funny. So I am going to start with a uh, yeah, series of moments. It's a little, I guess it's a little bit of a scene. It's near the top of the movie. We see that Andy is working at Trax, the local record store in town. And we're introduced to Iona, played by Annie Potts, the manager. They have a little back and forth, but then the hot rich guy walks in. Andrew McCarthy playing Blaine. Blaine walks in and there's a little looky back and forth between Blaine and Andy. I actually like this uh, scene because then he comes up and he's with a Steve Lawrence record LP and asks her opinion, oh, should I get this record? But I like this because it kind of sets a tone from the where it's not your typical girl just gushing over the hot guy or melting or being so distracted she can't get the words out. Yes, is there a little awkwardness? Of course. And I yes. think Molly Ringwald plays it with some really, really nice nuance. But she does this thing where she's sarcastic and kind of doesn't give in to the... And won't let him know that she is probably melting on the inside. Mm -hmm. We know because the little glances that she gives and she does kind of this thing with her mouth, which is interesting. She's great. And Andrew McCarthy is doing kind of the same in his little subtle glances towards her, but she's not playing it weak or, oh, look at this dreamy guy. And she's just lost in his eyes kind of thing. She's actually playing it pretty strong. 
and flirting in her own way. And it just defines her character. I think it's, I like that. It stood out to me in that. My first actual favorite scene, it's just a short conversation is between Andy's dad, Jack, Jack Walsh and Ducky. Oh, and they're just sitting that. in the lawn chairs. Yep. I had that. Yeah. Outside his place. Cool. Yeah. I, I, I really like this conversation. I think Henry Dean, Dean Henry, Harry Dean Stanton has a natural quality about him. I like his delivery and you get Ducky sitting next to him. Who's acting. He's putting on a show as he does. He's always acting like the character is always acting. If you know what I mean? Yeah. He's always putting on a face and voices and things like that. And he's great. So he, it's almost like he's just not comfortable in his own skin. And it's just kind of funny, but he's having this conversation with Andy's dad and telling him that how he has this love for Andy, that he plans on marrying her. Not now, not today, but he's going to marry her. And her dad thinks it's sweet. Like he's not this overprotective type of dad. He's just like, oh, okay. He's very amused by the whole conversation. Yeah. I just like how he's just like, it's a great, it's a really fun back and forth between the two of them. And then there's a little bittersweet sadness in the middle of it because Oh, there's a little, I, there's, to go back to the beginning of the conversation too, when Ducky is saying to Jack, hey, you know, Andy's a special girl. She's great. And I plan on marrying her. But then, uh, then I'm, excuse me, uh, Jack says, I actually, you know, I f- fell in love with a girl and I, I married her. I made her my wife. And Ducky's like, oh, oh, is that, is that Andy's mom? <laughs> I love that. Like, Jack's like, uh, yeah, duh. Yeah, that's, that's who I'm talking about. It's just a funny moment there. But then he says, yeah, and uh, then she left, but I still love her. And then the message being in this conversation, this is one of those moments, again, where Ducky doesn't want to hear it. But right at the top, Jack is hitting him with the hard truth. He's like, you can't make someone love you. I have the line. He says, you could love Andy, but that doesn't mean she'll love you back. It doesn't mean she won't. But what I'm trying to say is you can't make it happen. Either will or it won't. It's all in the heart. It's all in the heart. Love it. Love it. And Ducky's like, oh, yeah, yeah. Cardiology. Yeah, yeah. I I go to school. I understand. Yeah. Like he's shrugging it off because he doesn't want to accept that. It's the possibility that she might not feel the same way about him. And then the bittersweetness in the middle, too, with Jack, who's clearly dealing with the fact that his wife walked out of three years ago. It's really tough. So these two guys that are kind of in a slightly similar situation, I guess. But uh, And then at the very end of this scene, I just love the fact that they're parting ways. And uh, Jack says, yeah, I'm turning my life around. And Ducky says, oh, yeah, Tina Turner did it. So can you. And then Ducky walks off and says, all right, I'm off like a dirty shirt, which is funny. Uh, should that line have been, I'm off like a prom dress? I like to put his own little spin on it. Yeah, I found that scene interesting too. I was just trying to think of my own history. It's like, when have you ever? I mean, not that Andy and Ducky are dating, or but they're in a relationship where you would hang out with someone's dad like that. Mm-hmm. And because I was already asking permission to marry her down the road. Like, I don't know what's going to happen, but I just want your blessing now. Right. So when this does happen, I was like, I don't think I would ever do that. No, he's got balls. It's a little yeah. forward. Yeah, he's being a little forward and he's he's it's funny. Yeah. 
he seems very comfortable talking to her death. Like it's his death. Almost feels like he intentionally went over there to talk to him. Yeah. Good scene. Did you have another moment or scene you want to move on to? I'm already on my favorite scene. So yeah. And we've talked about it a little bit too. It's, it's the confrontation with Andy and Blaine at the high school. At the lockers. Yeah. Great. Yeah. I think, yeah. One, definitely one of our best performances. So just to go back a little bit, you know, Blaine and Andy, different sides of the track. Blaine finally asks Andy out. They have this horrendous first date where just nothing goes right, but they still attract to each other and they kiss and they decide that they're going to try to move forward on this relationship. But of course, all their friends want to not make this happen, want it to fail because it, it shouldn't happen. Blaine is having doubts about moving forward and he's already asked Andy to the prom. And now he's, he's blown her off and Andy knows that she's getting the blow off. So she confronts him at school at his locker yeah, and, awesome. just, wants, and just wants them to admit you. The only reason you don't want to be in this relationship is because you're concerned about what everybody else thinks. Right. Instead of standing up for yourself and moving forward with us, you're just so callous that you don't let us be us. Yeah. And um, she just wants them to admit it just to say it. And he, and he won't. Cause he's, he's embarrassed. Cause now, you know, now he's drawing the scene and uh, she just, she just lays into him. It's just, just deeper and deeper and uh, he won't say a thing. And then she eventually storms off. Yeah. It's, it's a pretty powerful scene. I really liked it a lot. Molly Ringwall was great in it. Yeah. It wasn't over the top. It felt really true. I'm like, I'm sure, unfortunately this has happened many times over. So I really, I really liked it. Great scene. And uh, it's an important scene in the movie. And it's, I think she does what a lot of us wish we could do, or we had the strength to do, especially at that age. I know I am extremely, I'm a passive aggressive person. And when it comes to, you get into a relationship with someone and you don't always say what you feel, or you hope things will just work themselves out. You don't take on uh, an uncomfortable situation head on like that. Just say, just say it. What's wrong? What's up? Why are you acting this way? Please just tell me. We aren't going to leave this room until you tell me kind of thing. And she does that in the scene where she's just like, why aren't you returning? Like something's up. I know what it is. I want you to say it. We're dealing with it right now. I'm sick of this bullshit. Yeah. She was not buying any excuses. Like he's trying to make excuses. She's like, nope, nope. She's awesome. She's awesome in that scene. it's, it's, It's heartbreaking though, because she's dying on the inside at the same time. She's crying while she's screaming at him. It's a combination of things. It's it's just, it's everything at once. Uh, and she storms off. And then that scene leads into just more great stuff because Ducky witnesses this. And then Blaine, who's just now, he's distraught and he doesn't know what to think, goes down the stairwell. And Steph is just like, you're better off, man. And talks trash about Andy. Yeah. Steph goes up the stairs and there's Ducky waiting for him. It's a great little showdown. It's like they're going to have a gunfight, like they have a duel, <laughs> like they have a face off between Steph and Ducky. Steph turns his back, like whatever, dude. And Ducky tackles him from behind and they have a little scruff and it's great. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that whole, that whole sequence is great. Yeah. Great acting by everybody. I have a bunch of moments here. Love this. Speaking of James Spader playing Steph. Blaine's best friend. When Steph is starting to catch when that Blaine has been talking to Andy and he's disapproving and tells Blaine that, uh, you know what? She's not good enough for you, et cetera. 
and they're in the high school hallway. It's just a great moment because Blaine goes, blah, blah, blah. He's being a dick and saying, you can't be talking to her. She's beneath you. And uh, then tells Blaine, hey, you know what? You're going to be late for class. And he points up at the school bell right before it rings. He times it. Oh, yeah. And he did that. James Spader actually did that. He purposefully did that. He wanted to time it right. That was something he had, I think, came, came up with, actually. Because he's just that cocky and Mr. No, like he's just no, Mr. Know-it-all that he's got like the timing down and just points at mm-hmm. the bell. And I love that moment when he points at the bell as it right before it rings for that class. Good. He's just too smooth in that moment. I'd love to hate this guy. So uh, we touched on the uh, the ducky lip syncing and dancing. You know, that's a classic sequence. I think John Cryer's fantastic in it. Uh, his dancing, his moves. I think his lip syncing is great. It's really funny just to watch the dynamic between while he's dancing. You, we mentioned Molly Ringwald, who's just kind of annoyed, sitting there like, "What are you doing, you idiot?" And then you've got Annie Potts, who's just loving you know, it more and more, be- impressed with what he's doing. That's great. It's always fun to watch him do that. Great song, Otis Redding, classic. Try a little tenderness. Listen to it. Feel good about it. It's a great tune. Gets you going. Yeah, John Cryer is, is uh, great. Just bouncing around that that with uh, that scene with energy, and it's an iconic scene. I mean, it's very identifiable oh, yeah. with or uh, in connection to this movie. The first date with Blaine and Andy goes through. You you see both sides of it. It's great. At least uh, you get to see she goes to Blaine's friend's party, and it's all the upper crust and the the rich kids. And she feels very uncomfortable. She doesn't belong. And they let her have it. You know, you see Steph and his girlfriend, Benny, the bitch, they are talking trash and they get the hell out of there. So they're like, well, let's go to the nightclub where Andy will be more comfortable. And then, of course, Ducky is there. And now it's Blaine that feels uncomfortable because it's not his scene. And Ducky's making him feel comfortable, et cetera. And it's just a great moment. I love it when, because Ducky is upset He's had a little bit to drink at this point in this nightclub. He's upset to see Blaine and Andy together. So uh, he grabs Iona and kisses her in front of Andy and says, Hey, Andy, you've been replaced. I love Annie Potts so much as Iona because she's like breathless. Oh, I know. Yes, that she's gotten. She should be punching him out. Right. Instead, she's almost like, you almost think, oh, my God, are these two going to be a thing now? This 18-year-old kid just, or 17 or 18-year-old kid just kissed her. She's like an early, she's supposed to be like 30, early 30s maybe. And she's like blown away. She's like, oh my God, this kid kissed me. And like, it just, it. she what she describes it, like she felt like some sort of burning feeling in her thighs. Or something. Oh yeah. Really funny. Anyway, uh, the look on her face, that's the point I was going to get to in this moment. After uh, Ducky kisses Iona. Iona's look on her face is fantastic. She's just shell-shocked by what just happened. So I love that moment. When Blaine is walking Andy back to his car, he wants to give her a ride home. Love this moment. It's heartbreaking. It is. Again, great, great performance by Molly Ringwald in this moment. Uh, and I'm going to give credit to Andrew McCarthy here in a second, but Molly Ringwald saying... I don't want you to take me home. I don't want you to take me home. I don't want you to take me home. And he's like, why, why, why? She says, finally, because I don't want you to see where I live. And she's in tears. 
And it still makes me like a little choked up now. Like it's an awful thing because she's so embarrassed by it. And it's a real thing. She shouldn't be, of course, but she it's real for her. Oh, yeah. That's a real problem. Uh, and that's what this movie does so well, Bill Bant, is really capture that feeling. This is the nostalgia I have like for high school by watching for through watching this movie is that this movie captures those feelings so well where I can actually feel what they're feeling because I felt it too in high school or something similar to that where it's like the feelings are are they don't make any sense now looking back upon them or they feel like they're either silly, immature, goofy, whatever. But they're so real and overpowering at that stage of life that they are real. That's a part of our experience and part of that, what we go through. And she really embodies that and really portrays it well. So that moment she says, I don't want you to see where I live. And she just gets into his car. Great Andrew McCarthy moment. He closes the door behind her and he's, he felt the weight of it. Like it hit him. Like it was a gut punch and he feels bad for it. Like he knows he doesn't give a damn, but he realizes how important it is to her. And he just kind of under his breath says, Jesus Christ. And it's just a great delivery because I think he's, it's not like Jesus Christ. She's crazy. It's more like, Holy shit. She's, she's really embarrassed about it. And it's something he's never had to worry about or think about. Yeah. Yeah. Good call. Yeah, exactly. Great moment. That date was tough when they went to the house because I mean they're both getting shit on her because she's oh, on yeah. the tracks and, and him the fact that he's with her. And the whole I'm just like, just leave. Please both of you just leave. Please right. both of you just get the hell out of there. I was cringing. It is cringeworthy. It's hard to watch. It's hard. That stuff happens. Speaking of that date, then at the end of the date, we do have a nice moment because they end up kissing. Yep. And a very romantic moment. He uh, asks her to the prom and she's like, "Uh, yeah, all right. I love you. Let's kiss. And they do. And I love this shot because this is a really symbolic shot. It might be a little over the top or on the nose, but we see them kissing in front of the car on the street because they, they start kissing and it's just, they're under like the street lamp on the street in front of our house. And we see the car there, but then there's another angle where it's complete darkness. You don't see anything except for them in front of the car kissing. It's a very romantic shot. And it's as if they are the only two people in the entire world, in the whole universe in that moment. And that again is what I'm talking about, how this can really capture that feeling of that's how you feel then when you have that first kiss with somebody like, there's nothing else in the world in that moment that exists. It's just the two of you. Uh, so it's a good, I thought that was a cool shot when everything else is in absolute darkness and it's just them in front of the car. So love that moment. My next favorite scene, I'm calling it the pretty in pink scene. This is where the title of the movie comes from. The fact that Jack, Andy's dad, comes to her and, with a dress that is pink that he got for her to wear to the prom and it's a little tacky and he knows that. And he's like, well, you can do something with this. You can make something out of it because she can. And she's appreciative. And he mentions, well, yeah, your mom was always really pretty in pink. And it's like, ah, gut punch. And she knows it. she's like, that's really bittersweet. Then she calls him out because supposedly he's been trying to get a job or he was supposed to go on an interview for a job. 
and he didn't go. And she's like, what's up? Why aren't you going? And he's like, do you think I'm intentionally not going? She's like, yeah, because you're still stewing in this loss. The fact that your wife, my mom left you three years ago, you need to get over it and they get into it. And it's, it gets pretty raw and they're kind of, they're yelling at each other. And again, just there's tears flowing and it's tough because Jack hasn't gotten over it. He's heartbroken and it's ruling his life. However old he's supposed to be at this point. And he's well over 50, right? Or around 50. It's heartbreaking because he can't, can't get past it. And it's ruining his life and potentially his daughter's life too. Cause he, it's like, he literally can't get out of bed. Yeah. I did a little jerk at that when he grabbed her and I was like, Oh my God. Yeah. 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 That frightened me a little bit. I forgot. Yeah. I was like, Oh, does he slap her here or what happens? Is there, but he lets instead he hugs her, which is a great turn. And they sit down on the bed and she tells him there's a great line in there. Cause you just see it on Harry Dean Stanton's face. He's wearing and carrying the pain. It's, it's great. And as far as acting goes, like, you know, and capturing that feeling once again. And Andy says to him that when she was a little girl, she knew it. She knew that her mom didn't love him anymore. And when she wouldn't come home, you know, she knew it. And she says that she was, I was 14 and I knew it. You were 50 and you didn't, which is again, blinded by love. That's what happens. You can't see it when it's right in front. Like all the signs are there in front of you. But if you're in love with that person, you're, you're just blind. You don't see any of it. All you see is what you want. And he was stuck in it. And, but she could see it as a teenager, but he could when he was 50. I don't know. That resonated with me. Love that. I really, really like that scene. I think that resonates with me more now as an adult where it didn't as a, as a kid. Right. You know, or a teenager watching it where I'm just, oh, all about the, you know, it's about the romance and just not getting the subtleties of the different perspectives on love, depending on your age and your experience. So just a couple moments. Oh, no, I'm just going to jump to my last uh, uh, moment here, actually. Just okay. And that's the finale at the very at the prom. Ducky comes in to save the day because our strong willed Andy has shown up by herself thinking she's going to try to walk into this prom on her own. But Ducky is there as the dutiful, loyal friend is going to escort her into the prom. And then of course we have Blaine who is there by himself and looking all sullen and they make up basically both Blaine and Andy. Ducky takes the high road, shakes Blaine's hand and everything is going to be okay. And Ducky's like, you need to go you need to go off with Blaine and this is your shot. And Ducky turns around and who is standing there giving him the eyes, Christy Swanson. Yep. Oh yeah. Love this moment. Oh hell yes, man. I'm just like Ducky for the win. Absolutely. I've always been a Christy Swanson <laughs> fan. Always. I mean, I talked about my crush on Gina Gershon. Great. But I'd go as far as to say if she had been, if Christy Swanson had been in more films in the mid to late 80s, she may have rivaled Elizabeth Shoot for me, if I'm being completely honest. Wow. I have a thing for Christy Swanson. Still, Elizabeth Shoe's up here. Okay. But Christy Swanson could have competed. It's just that didn't have as much exposure in the 80s as uh, Elizabeth Shoe did, yeah. uh, at least in my, you know, 
from what uh, from what I saw. So there's a great moment there too, where when there's this beautiful girl now, that being Christy Swanson, is making eyes at Ducky, and it's great because her she's credited in the film as Duckette. Yes, wonderful. That Ducky himself can't believe it. And he turns and looks right into the camera. It's a great oh, yeah, breaking the fourth, the fourth wall, wall yeah. moment. It's a great moment. So he was looking sharp. So oh, he looks great. He looks did. great at the prom. Yeah. He did. So good for him. Yeah. Happy ending. All around. Anything else for favorite scenes or moments? No, that's that's all I got, man. All right. So let's move on to soundtrack. Absolutely. Tons, tons, tons of music of that. We're not talking orchestral like we normally do. Right. But yeah, they're all over the place on this. And some of these I was even surprised when I was looking at the credits. You know, of course, we have the Pretty in Pink from Psychedelic Furs and the song that you were you know, singing in the beginning, If You Leave by... Uh, orchestral Maneuvers in the Dark. Yes. What a name for a band. Yeah. But then, yeah, we had In Excess, Some New Order... Echo and the Bunnymen. Yeah. Suzanne Vega. All over the place on this one. The Smiths. Dude, I can't stand the Smiths. I'm sorry. I'm one of those. I don't know. You're one of those? I have so many friends that love the Smiths and Morrissey. I've never been a Morrissey fan. Mm -hmm. Uh, I I was about to do a really bad (laughs) impersonation. I'm glad you stopped. Thank you. But... um, yeah, I misspoke earlier because I was I, when I was talking. I called it the pretty and pink scene, one of my favorite scenes, which was that father daughter scene in the movie. And I said that's where the title comes from, but it actually comes from the song. I think John Hughes named it because of this. It comes from the song "Pretty and Pink," mm-hmm. and Psychedelic Furs re-recorded that song for this movie. Right. But yes, the other iconic song from the film is "If You Leave." Love that song, man. Yeah, I play, they play and they play almost the entire song, the, the whole prom, the prom sequence at yep. the end, which I great. think I read was not the initial song that they played right. and they had to match it. Right. Yeah, because we'll talk about that. Yeah. Changing the ending. All right. Anything else we wanted to touch up on uh, soundtrack? No, no. OK. Happy belated birthday to Sean Williams. Speaking of soundtracks. Oh, there you go. Yeah, it's earlier this month. Um, so let's move on to our Swiss cheese and plate department. Yeah. And I don't think we really have any Swiss cheese because I don't think there's any major holes in this. So we're just going to, we're just going to file complaints to the complaints department. Is that correct? Yeah. yeah, Let's do it. Okay. Um, so this is my first complaint and maybe, like I said, my high school experience is a lot different than most other people because I went to an all Catholic boys school. So that's why, that's why, yes. So that's why I'm always attracted to these high school movies because I'm like, oh, this is all the stuff I missed out on. And I have to live vicariously through through it. Yeah. Yeah. So the one thing that really stood out to me about this school was I felt like no one in the school knew each other. I just found that very bizarre. Like, how does Ducky not know who Blaine is? And then Blaine has no idea who Ducky is. Like, Ducky has that personality that everybody in the school would know who Ducky is. Not that they had to be friends with him, but they would know, okay. like, oh, there's yeah. Ducky. It seemed like everybody was coming to the school for the first time. And then even when there's that scene where they go on the date and Benny says something to Andy and she's like, oh, aren't you my such such class? She goes, Jim. She's like, your name's Jim? You know who Andy, even though yeah, that was if weird. you hate her guts and you are always shitting on her, any chance you get, 
you would know who she is. Oh, yeah, they know. Yeah, absolutely. And they have the scene in the English class early in the film where Benny is making fun of what she's wearing. Yeah. Did you buy that the five and dime? They know who, yeah, she knows who Andy is. I know I didn't know everybody in my class per se, but like, you know who people were. It didn't bother me as much, but I see what you're saying. Yeah. That's yeah. I don't Good. That's just a good call. It's a good call. Yeah. This school is as segregated as it can get. Cause (laughs) cause even the scene where Blaine goes out to talk to Andy to ask her out, she says to him, have yeah. you ever been out here before? He's like, right. no. That so I was, was like, what do they do? What is well, I've do? never seen that before. Talk about segregated. And, and by the way, this is like one of the whitest movies of all time. This is all like white kids with white problems type of movie. Well, that's what I was trying to think too. Is like, is this high school technically in a upper class neighborhood and Andy and have to get like some kind of special permission in order to go to that school? Because that's not technically their, their zone school. They Correct. should really be going somewhere else. It seems it kind of comes across in the meeting with her and the principal. That's right. That's where that is. Yeah. You kind of get a little bit of that information. Right. It was either because of her grades or yeah, there's some loophole or whatever it is. They might be, maybe they live right on the border or something like where the, where the lines are drawn for school districts, mm-hmm. uh, districts. It, they're clearly going to a rich kid school, rich white kid school. <laughs> Yeah, but the 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 segregation between the yuppies and the rich versus the I don't know what you want to call them the alternative kids or the stoners middle, or the yeah just some middle, the same lower class, class kids yeah. you know because yeah Blaine goes out to, outside to talk to Andy and it's literally of the lower uh, income kids lower class kids mm-hmm. all in the same yeah like it's so it's literally divided in half. Yeah, it seems. And it's almost like your your skaters, punk followers kind of kids out there. Yeah, that's where they go to hang out. It's a nice big area. Yeah. Yeah, good call. Here's the complaint. We we touched on this a little bit. Cats, the nightclub. Don't know about the name, first of all, but the place probably should be shut down, I'm assuming. Uh, because oh, yeah. we don't we don't know if it's 18 and over club or not. I'm assuming it's probably not, but it seems as though the high school kids can come and go whenever they want. Basically, I, I don't know if it's a they're most likely using fake IDs. There's a lot of underage drinking going on. Uh, that place is going to get shut down in my I'm, I'm assuming because yeah. we do see obviously we see Andy in there. I don't know if she's drinking alcohol necessarily, but she gets in. Dice man's letting her in. And then when the second half of her date with Blaine, Blaine's in there getting drinks. It's kind of like Ducky's in there. They do point out the fact that Iona says, oh, yeah, I said that he was my grandson or something like that. He's drunk. Ducky is, you know, I don't know. A lot of underage drinking going on in this one nightclub. Now, that happens all the time unfortunately, or, but you know what I mean? It's just, it, it's a reality like underage drinking or kids sneaking into bars, using fake IDs, et cetera. But at this one nightclub, it seems like they're regulars. I don't know. I don't even know if it's really a complaint. It's just like, what was this nightclub? And why these kids just seem to be have free reign here. All right. So here, here's my complaint off of that though, because the first time we see Andy in there, she's with her two friends. 
Uh, what the yeah. hell happened to Simon? We never see Simon again. Nowhere. We don't even see him in a classroom, walking down oh, yeah. the hallway at any point. He's just there for, he answers, he says this one line, and that's the end of Simon. Yeah, which is, there's a little trivia there, too. A little behind-the-scenes factoid. I don't know if we want to do it right now, or if you came across Because I don't know. I don't know. That's why I'm asking. So that's Dweezil Zappa, and that is... Uh, Molly Ringwald was dating him at what well, during oh, the film. I didn't even catch that. I didn't yeah. even catch it. God, that's all. Yeah, I mean. Simon is. Yeah, so and the funny thing is, supposedly Molly Ringwald developed a bit of a crush on Annie McCarthy, but uh, she was dating Dweezil Zappa mm-hmm. at the time, who has that little bit part as Simon. Yeah, because you really don't even see that much of Zajena. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Her like her high school friend. Yeah. Yeah, because at first you don't even know in the beginning that they're friends you think it's jenna's having the thing with benny and somehow andy gets trapped in the middle of it and then you kind of see him talk again and then one more yeah. time and then yeah jenna disappears too she does that yeah that doesn't really get developed at all their friendship yeah. very very true mm-hmm. yeah good point um james spader i think he's 24 at this time. I, I, I could oh, be yeah. Well, he's he 25 like he's or he's 25 or 26 when this is filmed. I wrote it down. Uh James Spader does not look like, nor does he act like a high schooler. But you know, in the we just accepted it. But he's not, he's just no. He might even be too old to play a senior in college. Yeah, he just he the way he carries himself, there's just look, he still looks young, but yeah, he just doesn't no. No, there's a just he just looks more mature. He just plays a good dick. So, yeah, yeah. I just thought this was funny because you know we see it. It's just one of those repetitive observations I'm making with the "Where are the parents?" question. Now we have there is a parent in this movie, obviously Jack Walsh, who is very prominent character in this movie. But otherwise, but it is kind of funny with the the house parties and. Steph is just smoking in his parents' house because his parents are out of town that's, that weekend, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and he's just smoking and trashing the place and, and everything. And But there was a bit more freedom, free reign. You were able to wander about. And, and just tr- and trust me, having to be a helicopter parent, we don't want to be helicopter parents. That's just the way society is because, God forbid, right. you let your kids go outside, you know, someone's going to call the child services SWAT team on you and uh, you're in jail. Yeah. There you go, man. It was just, you know, different then, but uh, this isn't as egregious by any search. And like, it's like a, just one of the guys or ventures of babies where you're just always like, where the hell are the parents in these movies? But it makes sense in a way, guys, it was the eighties. There you go. All right. So speaking of adults, cause we only have one true adult parent in this Jack. I don't believe for a second that he's really Andy's father. Mm. There's no resemblance whatsoever. And then even when you see the picture of the <laughs> even true. when you see the picture of the mom, you're like, all right, who gave her the red hair? I don't I mean it's a black and white, but I'm like, that's not those two did not make her. I don't know what's going on there. And then I was trying to figure out how how are they surviving? Well, that's that's a real question. It was like yeah. is Andy working and paying paying the bills? Is that is that what's going on? Well, I mean Jack mentioned he's working part time. He's got a part time job, but to afford the the mortgage and school i don't know i i maybe it's public school maybe there's not paying for school but you got to put food on the table well she's got a car uh-huh i mean back in the yeah i guess you didn't really have to have car insurance back in the 80s because you see that car needs a little work she's got to put gas in it 
The little side tidbit too is, of course, when they go on their date and they get into Blaine's car, no seatbelts. Uh, oh yeah, seat that's always. always I just st- still stands out like sore thumb now. That's something my kids will always point out. They didn't put their seatbelts on. Yeah. No. Hey guys, it was the eighties. It wasn't law yet. No, it wasn't. It's just weird to think about. Yeah, and I remember when it became law too, and it was so weird to have to remember to put your seatbelt on. But that's a good call. Yeah, I don't know how they were surviving on her income, either, you know, putting her in, I don't know how much she was making at the record store and how much he was making at the part-time job. But yeah, here's my uh, one thing that an expression that doesn't hold up, or I never even remember using in the eighties. I think Ducky says it a couple times in the movie when he's trying to say something to the effect of, you know, let's get going or let's get into it or let's go party. But he, he says, let's plow. He says it a couple of times. I'm like, I've never heard that expression before. Was that a thing? Did I miss that one in the 80s? Not one that I used. Let's plow. Yeah. I don't know. Didn't really catch on. All right. So most ridiculous scene in the movie. Got to <laughs> yes. bring it up. Okay. The library computer scene. Oh, yeah. I was rewatching it even just before we started recording. And I was thinking a little bit of the same thing. Go for it. Blaine is doing his like part two flirting. Yeah, he already tried at the at the record store. Kind of didn't work out the way he wanted it to. But hey, they made initial contact. So then we have a, a scene where Andy's at the school library and she's on the computer and you know she's typing on it and it's got the extreme like 72 font that's showing up when she's typing. Right. And then all of a sudden somehow someone's dialing into the computer which i doubt they could do back then yeah on those things and of course it's a big black screen with this giant like bright burnt orange font that comes out like trying to communicate with her and she's looking around and of course she thinks it's ducky and the screen's like no it's not ducky and then she's like do you know who this is and then her picture comes up on the screen right i'm like that probably took all the memory of the computer to get that thing to come up and then you find out that it's Blaine, who's on the other side on a different computer, who's, I guess, hacking into hers and trying to be cute. And I was just like, oh, no, this does not work at all. It's so dumb. It was ridiculous. It is ridiculous. Yeah. It's like, hey, we have computers now. Let's be cute about it. It did bring a little nostalgia back for me for computer programming class. Right. Apple uh, computers. Anyway, uh, yeah. But that scene, her high school headshot appearing on the computer and then it's his picture i'm like how did they they already have their yearbook pictures what where are these pictures coming from how is he able to hack in your computer and no yeah no, that's no. Good. they could never do no good call man that's some swiss cheese not because it's a hole it's just because it's cheesy yeah that one's cheesy well, I, yeah, I'm out of complaints, man. I didn't, I just, I didn't feel like getting too nitpicky on this one for some reason. I'm, I'm probably letting a lot slide, so I'll let you run with it if you got more. No, that was it. Oh, okay. No, I was Great. just going some couple of obvious ones. Yeah. All right, so let's move on to hey, it's that actor. <laughs> so um, in this segment, we spotlight a character actor you have seen in many other films, an actor making their big screen debut. Or an actor that makes an uncredited cameo. It's, hey, it's that actor. Uh, I love it. All right. Who wants to go first? I'll go. All right. Uh, So I am going with the actress named Margaret Cullen. 
She played. Oh, does that say what you chose? We matched. Yeah, go ahead. Keep oh, going. Oh, great. Yeah, because every time I, I, I see her pop up here and there, but I only really know her as one character named Constance Spano, the U.S. President, uh, U.S. President Thomas Whitmore's White House Communications Director from Independence Day. It was good. Did you guys have a scene together in that movie, Jason? You know, uh, <laughs> very funny. As a matter of fact, she did walk right by me in, when I was an extra. You can't see me in the movie, but I, I promise you I was there for a couple of scenes on the sci-fi blockbuster Independence Day. Um, and that's, yeah, it's funny because I did never knew her character's name for some reason in that movie. But yeah, she's a tall woman. I guess she's 5'11", is I think what they, they have her on, at here. Okay. But she was wearing heels on top of that. So I remember she walked by and I'm like, wow, she's tall. Pretty lady. But uh, yeah, immediately recognizable. For, she just has a look, that look. And she's worked a lot. So yeah, just if you want to know what she's done, she's done a ton. She's still working. Uh, she did a whole stint on Chicago Med recently. So look her up. Margaret Collin. She plays the English teacher, by the way and the uh, classroom scene in early in this movie when uh, she's writing on the chalkboard. And that's when Andy gets into it a little bit with uh, Benny and her friend when they're making fun of her clothing. And uh, the English teacher, Margaret Collin, turns around and is like, ladies, is there a problem? So, yeah, Margaret Collin. She's great. Yeah. That was her big screen debut. And other 80s movies that she was in was uh, like Father Like Son, Three Men and a Baby, and True Believer. Oh, I didn't see that. She was in Three Men and a Baby? Yeah. Oh, okay. Awesome. Yeah, there was another character. I thought for sure that we would see her again at some point in the movie. Yeah, maybe. I, yeah, I thought yeah. for sure that maybe something was going to happen in the school, and then Annie was going to have a discussion with her or something. But yeah, never see her again either. I guess she ran off assignment. I don't know. You know, now that you say that, if I had to make a complaint, really, I suppose, is that there were... It's forgivable... F- in a way, because it's maybe just not necessary to the story. Because I do appreciate the fact that this movie just gets to it. It's an hour and a half long. This is what the movie's about. We're just going to give you this stuff. Is that there is an underdeveloped stuff. There's just a lot of, you, you can have a lot of questions about, again, like how does the dad support the family? Or yeah, what happened to Andy's best friend in school, the her girlfriend, you know, yeah. uh, Jenna, and she, she, she disappears. Yeah, like well, she just completely disappears. Or how does this work or that work? Or what happens to this these people? And it's just some unanswered questions. But mm-hmm. anyway. So let's move on to facts and trivia. There's some facts and trivia from Pretty in Pink. Should we just talk about the big one right from the get-go? About the original ending? Of yeah, course. do it. Okay. So the original ending, if you don't know, I'm sure everybody knows by now, is... Andy and Ducky were supposed to end up together. Right. That's what was filmed. They took it to test audiences and they literally booed it. Did not want it. The studio freaked out, told them they had to come up with a new ending. And that's the ending we got. Andy gets Blaine and throw Ducky a bone. He gets his his duckette. Right. Yeah. I think it's right. Yes, I, I totally agree. Totally agree. You can sense it feels a little maybe manufactured. It is the right ending, though. It's just the way that it's it plays out. 
I would like to see the rest of the edit though, because that I think that's why I, I questioned the beginning of the whole Ducky Andy relationship. Because I'm wondering if it was edited a little bit different to make it work out more that way. And then since they knew they had to make the change, I'm wondering if they had to cut something or cut some stuff earlier in the movie to not right. make it flow that way. Yeah, here's my my issue with it is that it is the right ending. I believe Andy should have ended up with Blaine or no one at all. But okay. if he's, she's going to end up with somebody, she should have ended up with Blaine, which she does in this version. And the issue I have, though, is it feels a little too easy. And it's almost maybe because I'm so used to kind of the 80s uh, high school romantic comedy formula is that usually there is a culmination, climax, buildup of the moment where right you know before the resolution you have a blow up like there's a fight there's a there's an incident there's some sort of a moment where you know something you know something uh dramatic happens uh and this just kind of she's like i'm going to the prom by myself she shows up ducky is there for her as the loyal friend supportive etc they walk in together looking great and there's Blaine, who's by himself and sulking, as I mentioned earlier. And then it's kind of a quick makeup scene. And Blaine and Andy get back together. Ducky uh, finds his duckette, as you said, and that's it. Like, it's all tied up very neatly with the bow on top. Yeah, it just felt a little bit easy, but it still is the right ending and it works just fine. But usually uh, you want to see, like, the bad guys really get their comeuppance or something in that way where, oh, you rich guys and girls, we showed you, we're all on the even playing field now. And there is the moment, there is a nice moment where Blaine lets Steph have it. Yeah. Like saying the reason why you don't like her is she showed you that, that you're shit and you know, deep down inside, she's right. Mm -hmm. Uh, So there is that moment and that's really it. Yeah. But if you got the novelization, then you get the, you get the ducky ending. Okay. Because they wrote it not knowing they finished the book before they knew that the script had gotten changed and they had to go back and reshoot it. That's great. The book, yeah, he does. She does go off with Ducky there. All right. But yeah, I think Uh, think Ducky wins either way. He does okay. So there you go. Alternate endings. Can we see that alternate ending? Is that available anywhere? Do they say, is that? Some shots of it on the Blu ray, but they don't show the actual scene. Okay. Show them the filming because there was this whole thing where Ducky and Andy do like a dance. Molly Ringwald had like stomach flu the day they were filming that, and she was mm. just a mess. And anytime she got twirled around, she thought she was going to throw up. And I think John Cryer said at one time, like she literally passed out on him because she was oh, just wow. so exhausted and didn't feel well and bedridden after they finally finished shooting all that stuff. There you go. That must have been fun. Not. Nah. Good. Uh, so yeah, other fun facts and trivia. So John Hughes had written Pretty in Pink for his favorite Brat Packer. I'm reading this, uh, this is something I found on uh, an article I read, and I should be able to give credit to the article, which I can't at the moment, and I apologize. But the movie studio originally wanted Flashdance's star Jennifer Beals to I know. play Andy. That's just weird. Not really against it. It would have been a different movie, though. Yes. Definitely. She would have been way too old at that point too, right? Uh, that's a good question. I was a big Flash Dance fan. 
She's a maniac, maniac. Yeah, should have been like dancing 20, like she's should have been like twenty three or twenty four then. There you go. She should have played Benny the bitch. I agree with that because that actress looked a little older. Mm-hmm. Who, by the way, is Kate Vernon plays the role of Benny, Steph's girlfriend. Yes, the blonde bitch that hates Andy and everything she stands for. Yep. Kate Vernon, the daughter of John Vernon, oh, yes. our guy. Our guy from Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Yes. Hell yeah. That, yeah, Jennifer Beals was going to play Andy for a second there. Well, luckily she turned it down. Or at least that's what the movie studio wanted. But John Hughes always wanted Molly Ringwald. Uh, read this as well that uh, though, although, you know, Molly Ringwald was pulling in some serious dollars from these movies she was making, her parents kept her on an allowance. So she shopped in secondhand stores and thrift shops. That's why part of the reason why she could really relate to this role. Yeah, that was the thing, too. Like, you know, she was doing all this clothes designing. I would have thought there was some kind of designer storyline at some point. Because like Jack mentions that she got a scholarship. And I was like, oh, is it was it to like a design school? I wanted to know. Is that was that her passion? Is that what she wanted to do? Design clothes? I would like to have known that. See, another. Yeah. Another unanswered question. So the school uh, where this was filmed was also the same school used in Greece. Yeah. So there you go. Another iconic school that's used for multiple films. I think we've had that happen with uh, Summer School and Karate Kid were filmed at the same school. There you go. Greece and Pretty in Pink filmed at the same school. But Bill, was it used in Greece too? Ooh, I don't the know. The sequel? I don't think so. Bill, when are we going to do Greece too? Sometime this year. Oh, that was my inner Hillary. Sorry, I had to get it up. It's okay. Hey, speaking of the ending, you know, they had to reshoot it with uh, Andy getting together with Blaine. Well, when it came time for that to happen, or they had to do it, uh, reshoot it, Andrew McCarthy was playing a soldier in a play called uh, Boys of Winter, and he had shaved his head for the part. So McCarthy needed a wig to come back and do the scene. And it's noticeable. I know, because when I'm watching, I'm like, what is wrong with him? I was like, is he just that upset? I'm like, wow, he's really, <laughs> he looks really distraught being there. He looks gaunt. He looks almost sick, like he's sick. Yeah. Like his eyes are sunken in and his hair looks awful. And it's because he's wearing a wig. But uh, a bunch of weight. Yeah, so they had to call the principal cast members back. And uh, he, yeah, it says here he had already lost a substantial amount of weight, shaved his head for the new role in the play. I was almost glad that I read that. Because I just yeah. watching it going, what is wrong with him? I was like, yeah, it's like was wow. he sick when they were filming too? I don't know. Did he just go full method and yeah. really like just, he was just really heartbroken and, and like hadn't been eating for weeks. Like, cause he's so distraught yeah. over not being with Andy. That's what I, that's what I choose to believe. But yeah, just look at his hair though. <laughs> Dude, you had that perfect feathered hair throughout the whole movie. And then he's supposed to, he's wearing this tuxies at the prom it just looks like complete dog shit. I know. I was like, why'd you not put a comb through your head? You haven't looked like you slept in two weeks. Yeah. That's what it looked like. Like he hadn't eaten or slept yeah. since Andy confronted him at the locker. That's what it looked like. I was like, Jesus, man, you're a mess. He should have gone and talked to Andy's dad, Jack. Just been like, yeah. Jack could have been like, dude, it's not worth it. Got to get over that. Yeah. Look at me in the cautionary tale. Yep. All right. So for me, this is my favorite fact and trivia. I was kind of 
excited reading this. So the would-be shoplifter, um, who Iona nails the face of the staple gun, is Christian Jacobs, who uh, would be the lead singer of the Aquabats. <laughs> but for me, like if you have kids within the last 15 years, you had probably watched this show, Yo Gabba Gabba, which I freaking loved. He was the creator of that show. Oh, was that, so weird. That was, that's I love that. I love that show. I, I think I liked that show more than my kids did when they were watching it. I was like, <laughs> oh, kids, you got the Amazon. Let's watch it. That was a weird freaking show, but I don't know. I never watched it. I knew of it. I never watched it. I loved it. So that was kind of cool to see that uh, Kristen Jacobs was in Pretty in Pink and the creator of Yo Gabba Gamma. One of the creators of Yo Gabba Gamma. That's, that's a good poll. That's good stuff, man. Get the sillies out. Let's get the sillies out. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Sorry. <laughs> uh, the director, Howie, Howie, Howard Deutsch. Regarding James Spader, uh, when he auditioned for the role of Steph, it went so well that he almost wasn't hired. Director Howard Deutsch said he was just so believable. You know, I was casting the movie and I went, I hate this guy. And Molly Ringwald is quoted as saying, I remember James Spader coming in and smoking a cigarette. This Speaking of the audition, and he was just obnoxious, but he was completely in character because he's actually... Uh, a lovely character, very nice, not at all like the character he plays, but he just had this real sneer about him of that word sneer. And I think he even dropped the cigarette on the floor and stamped it out and just left. James Spader, baller. Yeah, supposedly I had read too, they offered him Blaine and he didn't want it. He wanted right. to play. He, yeah, he wanted to play. Yeah. Bad guy's more interesting. Yeah, of course. And the other uh, big casting story, of course, was. I can't see this either is that they initially offered Ducky to uh, Anthony Michael Hall and he turned yeah. it down. Yeah. I couldn't. I could, you I can't could, see that? No. Huh. I, I, I totally think that would have worked. I mean, it would just been a little tough because they were, I mean, both in Breakfast Club, I suppose. I don't know. I think, I think Anthony Michael Hall would have been great. But I think at this, it's hard looking back now because John Cryer owns that role, right? So much. I mean, he really made it his own. Yeah, that's a, that's another one. I mean, yeah, another member of the Brad Pack. Uh, anything else for facts and trivia? I'm spent. Okay, yeah, just a little bit. Speaking of Ducky and the famous dance, uh, those dance moves came uh, courtesy of the Footloose choreographer. Thought that was kind of cool, Kenny Ortega, because they weren't sure what he was going to do for that hold that bit but they got the yeah dance choreographer from footloose kenny ortega and then was like well we're, we're gonna come up with something mm-hmm. and they sure did this is uh an interesting thing i found too i think this may be off of imdb molly ringwan had told out magazine that ducky the flamboyant best friend to her character andy and john hughes 1986 high school classic was secretly gay though an alternate ending of the classic in which Andy ended up with Ducky uh, rather than Blaine was filmed that the test audiences responded to neg- uh, negatively. We've already covered that. Uh, Ringwald says Ducky doesn't even know, doesn't know he's gay. I think he loves Andy in the way that my gay best friend always loved me. That ending fell so flat. It bombed at all the screenings. It, uh, I didn't realize that then I just knew that my character shouldn't end up with him because we didn't have any sort of chemistry if John was here now and I could talk to him, I think that he would completely acknowledge that. That was kind of her take on it. And John Cryer disagrees with that take. He does not think Ducky 
was gay. There you go. I didn't think that, to be honest. I, I didn't. It's funny enough. I didn't think it when I was watching it today. But when I was younger, I thought it was right. possible, as I mentioned at the time. Yeah, because yeah. I was I was thinking of that going into, and I was like, no. But it's such a superficial observation. I mean, you just it's such a you know thing. It, and it's not a fair observation, obviously. Mm-hmm. But there you go. So all right. that's all I got for facts and trivia. So let us move on to box office. So this movie was released on February 28th, right around the corner, 1986. On an estimated budget of $9 million, it grossed $40.5 million domestically. It debuted at number two at the box office, losing out to House, which also debuted that week by less than $400,000. It did reach number one the following week, where it held the top spot for just the one week. It did, however, stay in the top 10 for the next eight weeks. So it was a, it was a hit. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, moving on to reviews. When growing up in the early 80s, we loved catching at the movies with Gene Siskel and Roger Ebert to hear the reviews and watch clips from upcoming movies. Their review of Pretty in Pink was split. Gene felt the film brought nothing fresh and wasted a wonderful performance by Molly Ringwald. Roger thought its heart was in the right place and enjoyed John Cryer's performance, which Gene did not, and thought it was an accurate portrayal of what young teens go through when getting ready for the senior prom. You know what? I Honestly, I agree with both those takes. Like, I can see both of those takes. I side more with Ebert. I, I enjoy this film and I mm-hmm. like it a lot, but I, I get what Cisco's saying. Mm-hmm. I can see that from that point of view. All right. So it takes us to additional thoughts and questions. Do you have any additional thoughts and questions about Pretty in Pink? Yeah. You know, was this the first movie to have a character leave multiple back-to-back like messages on the answering machine in a comedic way? It just, that turns out to be kind of a running gag yes. throughout movies over the decades still probably to this day. And it is always kind of funny when you hear the friend, you know, what comes to mind yeah. off the top of my head is Jim Carrey and the cable guy when he's calling Ben Stiller multiple times. I'd love that whole sequence, you know, when going- Stiller's listening to his messages and it's just Jim Carrey. Like, uh, do you, are you home yet? I was just thinking of, you know, maybe we go get something to eat and then click. And the next one is like, uh, I was just blow drying my hair. Thought maybe call click. Uh shit. Click. <laughs> That's like, there's some great ones. I think with phone mess, I'm a, I always go swingers. Oh yeah, sure. Yeah. You actually, but you actually see him right yeah. watch Favreau leaving. Yeah, making yeah. the calls. Oh my god. So painful. Oh so painful. Brutal. It's <laughs> awesome. <laughs> He's so good in that scene too. Yeah. Oh yeah, I just wrote that. Is Ducky really the man? I mean, I we have Iona is kind of into him. I know. The record store manager, Annie Potts, she's kind of into him. And then Chrissy Swanson is all about him. Ducky's the man. Just saying. So is he really just the ladies' man? Here's the big question. What's your favorite of the Ringwald trilogy? 16 Candles. The Breakfast Club. Pretty and pink. I need to go back and watch 16 Candles again. Yeah, me too. too. You know, we did discuss Breakfast Club and I don't think I was the nicest to it. It's it's a good movie, like I said, but it needs to stay in the 80s. This one I thought was her best performance and the story still hangs with today. Yeah. But I I think I need to go back to watch 16 Candles to see 
what I would really pick. Cause I, I would right now say pretty in pink. I, I agree. Cause if I had I to go back I think and I'd, watch I'd, one, I'd probably the exact same answer as you. I need to. Yeah. I would probably watch this one again. All right. So we'll go back and watch 16 candles, which we'll eventually do on the show. Yeah. And we'll revisit that question. Right. We'll save that question. Yes. Okay. We'll table it. Let's do it. Take, okay. consider it tabled. Okay. Do you have a story of unrequited love? Have you ever been put in the friend zone? Have you ever been ducky? Jason, I've lived in the friend zone. Let me oh tell boy. You. Yeah. That's a whole other podcast. We should just call, <laughs> we should just create a podcast called the friend zone and just have. That's great. When they were duckies. Oh man. Save it. That is awesome. Yeah. That could be gold. Are you kidding? Yep. Just right. stories about, oh, hell yeah. That could be funny and tragic. Yeah. All Welcome at once. To the friend zone. The friend zone. Oh, yeah. I think most of us have been there at one time or another. I remember, yeah, in high school, it didn't break my heart, but I, I did definitely play the friend when I had a crush on a girl and she liked me because I could make her laugh. And then she just kept dating my friends. My my other friends and I'm just like, can't she see that I'm the one for her? I'm the one that's and she would always insist that I would come around and be hang out because I was like the entertainment, like I was the little jester. And then she'd go hook up with my friend. I'm like, what what is this? What is happening here? It always just seemed like a chain, like you like someone who likes someone else, who likes someone else, who likes someone else. Right. I just kind of I kind of remember that at the end of grade school where it just seemed like we only had two people that were dating, but everybody else liked someone else. But that same person didn't like them back because they had liked someone else. Right. Sure. Yes. Yeah, uh, Very so. high school. But for me, it was a little bit later on in life, actually, probably when I was in my late 20s, early 30s, when I, there's a couple of girls that I've definitely, there's been a bit of unrequited love. That's a tough spot to be in when you're constantly around someone that you have deep feelings for and it's just not happening. And you know, deep down inside, it's not going to happen, but you still hope it will happen. And that person continually obviously has affectionate feelings towards you, but is not in that romantic way. And you just like Ducky, I felt like I was just waiting for my turn, that mm -hmm. my turn was going to come eventually. But the girl just kept dating other guys and eventually... I had to be hit over the head with the hard truth, like literally smacked in the face. Mm -hmm. uh, that didn't actually happen. I didn't get slapped in the face, but still it was just like, I don't, I'm not going to date you. I don't want to date you. And I was like, Oh wow, that hurts. And I'm glad you said that because I would have been pining away for you forever. Probably mm -hmm. <laughs> if you hadn't said that, because I was literally a ducky been there sucks. And speaking of ducky, this is my last question. Is John Cryer incredibly good in this movie or incredibly annoying? I was afraid he was going to be annoying. I enjoyed it. Agreed. I think it, there's a couple brief moments where I'm like, hey, he's borderline annoying. But most of it, he's very charming, very entertaining, very funny, natural, like just great delivery, time, like all of it. Yeah, I would say the scene where he kept sitting off the alarm. That's oh, sure. Like, well, yeah. I was like, all right, come on, dude. That's not cool at all. Okay, here are my questions. Yes. Jason, did you go to the senior prom? I did. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Now, was it someone you were going out with or just someone you asked just so you go to the senior prom? 
It was someone I was going out with. I was very, okay. very fortunate. Yeah. Okay. I'll leave it at that. I did not go to the senior prom. This is another woe is Bill story. Like, man. I'm- no, it's a, no, it's actually okay because okay. My, my options were I had the money to either go to senior prom or do senior week, which was usually everyone um, because the seniors got off school a week early. We would go down to the Jersey Shore for the week and I used that money to rent a place. And it was, that was totally worth it. I was like, take seven oh, days. Sweet. Okay. All take right. seven days or take one day. I decided to take the seven. Good choice. All right. Good for you. I thought you were going to say something like you no. ended up just no. going to church. No, no. Memory, memories that lasted a lifetime. So it, it was right. worth it. But yeah, this is funny too, because just, you know, doing the research for this. So supposedly Molly Ringwald never technically went to her senior prom. Right. Cryer never went to a senior, Andrew McCarthy never went to a senior prom and James Spader. So yeah, other than went to a senior prom. So I, I kind of felt better about that. Okay. Uh, my next question, favorite movie with a color in the title. Oh, wow. What do you got? I know. Uh, I know like you usually give options. I uh, did. No, yeah. No purple rain just jumped right out to me uh, or the color purple just mm-hmm. to name purple. You know, I've never seen Blue Velvet. Uh, really? Oh, man, yeah, that's a good one. Right? Gosh. Let's go over the colors. Now I'm going to green. Like, okay. Uh, gosh, what, what has green? A green lantern? Um, Mine has green in the title. Uh, the Green Mile. There you go. I, I thought that was a good movie. Yeah. It's not my favorite, uh, but it's still it's, it's good. Yeah. Um, my Blue Heaven. That's a fun one. <laughs> Is there other uh, Pink Cadillac? See, my, all right. So my favorite movie with pink in the title mm-hmm. would be the Pink Panther Strikes Again. Oh, good call. That movie sure. freaking kills me every time I watch it. Hell yeah, man. That's, yeah, that's great. But yeah, my my number one would be A Clockwork Orange. Oh, wow. Pulling out the Kubrick. Yeah. Good stuff, man. Go with like White Fang. I do love the film Pitch Black. There you go. That's a good one. Ooh, yeah, White Fang. Yeah, Black Panther. Wasn't there a Michael Keaton movie called uh, just White Noise? Yes. So the theater, not very good. That's a great question, man. You can that just yeah, movie titles with the with the color in it. Red, red two. Oh yeah, jeez, yeah. I'm sure, there's all kinds of yeah. As soon as it's over, you'll come up with a hundred of them. What was the Tom Hanks one? The red, the man, the red shoe. Oh yeah, the man with the one red shoe. Is that is that the actual title? Yeah, man. Yeah, it's actually. Woman, and then there's woman in red, right? Yes, with Gene Wilder. What are the colors? Yeah, I mean, blue's got. There's got to be so many titles with blue in it. Um, Moulin Rouge. Did you ever see Blue Valentine? That's a gut wrenching one. Ryan yes. Gosling and uh, yep. Michelle Williams. Oh yeah. Oof. Yeah, there's a lot out there. I saw that with a girl that was a bit of an unrequited love situation. Okay, I'll ask you this question again when we do Purple Rain. I have an answer by then. I don't know when we're doing Purple Rain, but. All okay. right. All right. Last Good question. Yes. All right, last question. Favorite movie of the Andrew McCarthy, James Spader trilogy. Pretty in pink mannequin or less than zero. <laughs> yeah. It's tough, man. Wow. Um, for me personally, uh, mannequin, I'm a mannequin kid. That was uh, one of those. I was such, I was so in love with too, with Kim Cattrall in that movie. Very romantic. I just, I thought, that's was pure fun for me as a kid. I, I bought into the magic of that movie. So I'm going to choose that one. Um, now, 
that was probably my favorite as a kid. Now, looking back, though, it's so hard to say less than zero, but because that movie is just so tough. But it yeah. might might be now. I might go with less than zero. Yeah. I, I got to rewatch Mannequin. Uh, I haven't seen it in a long time. We should certainly do it on this podcast. Oh, yeah. But uh, And I'm sure we'll do less than zero. But I've watched less than zero two or three times in the last handful of years, probably a couple times. Mm-hmm. And uh, have you seen Julian? Have you seen Julian? That's, I mean, how many times do you ask that question about the movie? Have you seen Julian? Yeah, right. Man, Spader's a scumbag in that one. Oh, big time. Some great performances. Jamie Gertz, man, all about her. Robert Downey. Yeah. If you ask the younger me, I'd choose Mannequin. Older me, less than zero. Okay. I'm going less than zero myself. Yeah. All right. Uh, recommendation. Are we recommending Pretty in Pink for our audience? Are we, Bill? Are we? I'm recommending it because this is an easy watch. As I mentioned earlier, uh, this is uh, kind of all on the surface. It's pretty straightforward. You know what it's about, but it's very endearing. It's charming. It captures a feeling. And I feel this movie is nostalgic. And even if you are a teenager or you've come up through different decades and have different attachments to these types of movies. I think this still stands up with the best of them and all credit to Molly Ringwald, John Cryer, James Spader, Andrew McCarthy, Annie Potts, and Harry Dean Stanton. Those five, six characters are wonderful. There's some, like I said, great acting. There's a good message and the relationships work. I buy it, the chemistry and the message. Yeah. It doesn't matter where you come from, who you are, what color skin you have, whether you're rich or poor, uh, which side of the tracks you live on, love conquers all. It's a feel-good movie. Yeah, it's only an hour and a half. Yeah, it's a quick watch. If you haven't seen it, it's a John, it's a one, it's a John Hughes classic. If you want to just dive into that John Hughes library. Yes, it's certainly not talked about as much as some of the others. Yeah, I, I definitely enjoyed going back and, and re-watching this and like my fear of, I thought I was going to have another breakfast club moment where I was like, Ooh, yeah, this right. movie should stay where it is. But no, I think it, it still plays today. And um, I enjoyed it. it. Yeah. It is very straightforward. There is a lot of stuff that's kind of missing that they could have developed, maybe added another 10 minutes to the movie, but overall I would say, give it a watch. Yeah. It's still, it holds up for the most part. Yeah. It's dated because of the, the, the fashion, yeah. oh, the yeah. styles would it, if it were remade today, would it have a? It would have a lot more diversity. Yes, and there'd be subtle things that would be changed. But great soundtrack. Oh yeah, yeah. If you definitely want to like dive into movies that really emphasize '80s music, this is definitely a good one to check out. But yeah, I would recommend it. I just can't escape the word nostalgia again because this movie is very nostalgic. And if you like, you just said, Bill. For those, I would recommend it for anybody that wants to get a little taste of what the 80s were like. This movie captures it pretty well. From mixtapes to big hair to smoking cigarettes and no seatbelts. I did kind of laugh because, you know, a part of the movie does take place at the record store. And I'm like, in a way, that's almost coming back where you're seeing records as such a big thing. I was like, oh, yeah, it's kind of it's coming back around. There, there could be a place out there called Tracks that is currently selling yeah. records right now. I could see that. But yeah, so yeah, Jason and I say, uh, if you have not seen Pretty and Pick yet, please check it out. So I think that about wraps it up for this week's episode. Thank you so much for listening. 
As always, please subscribe, give us a review, and rate us. You can email us at all80smoviespodcast at gmail.com. Please send us your feedback, questions, or recipes to share. You can follow us on Facebook, Meta, whatever it is now, at all80smoviespodcast, or tweet us at podcastall80s. Till then, have a totally great week, everyone. Thanks for staying up with us. Good night, bro.